gaming headset, huh? Hello. Good afternoon. You are listening to 107.7 FM, your community radio station at WVEWLP in Brattleboro, and we are Indigo Radio. We're here to deepen our understanding, make connections. Um, we're on the air every Sunday at 1 o'clock, and we are a group of educators seeking to learn through engaging with others in our community and throughout the world. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Indigo Radio. If you can, follow us. Um, and the views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the host and the guests, not the radio station. I am Nina Kunimoto, a local educator and a teacher educator in Spark Teacher Education Institute, and... I'm Michaela Sims, and I do something similar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an educator, too. And today, um, I want to introduce our guest, uh, Ryan Emerson. So Ryan, who is out of Los Angeles, um, is a labor organizer and political activist who's currently working as the Government and Labor Affairs Manager at Service Employees International Union, or better known as SEIU Local 99, which represents over 30,000 edu um, education support staff across LA County, or Los Angeles County. Before moving to LA, he managed political campaigns in Vermont, so he is a Vermont her, I think, um, including Beth Pierce for state treasurer and T.J. Donovan for attorney general and served as the communications director of the Vermont Democratic Party in 2013. Um, he's also worked for the Vermont Grow Kids um, and he's organized charter schools in Los Angeles. Did I catch everything, Ryan? Can you hear us? Can we uh, hear you? Yay. You did. I think you captured my entire life. So. Great. Oh, and, my goodness. <laughs> your whole life. You are a Vermonter. Is that correct? I, I, I am. Yes, Nina. Yeah, I was born and raised in Newberry, Vermont, up in Orange County up until I was uh, 30. So, yes. Gotcha. Well, we're yeah. we're going to start out with a song, actually, that um, Ryan recommended. Um, there are a couple songs or three songs we're playing today. Um, and the first one I'm going to play is Bulls on Parade by Rage Against the Machine. Um, and Ryan, do you want to tell us why you recommended this particular song? Sure. I think this song is really um, relevant to me um, because one of the topics that I know um, I'm excited to, to talk about more today is the, the Los Angeles teacher strike um, back in um, 2019, mm -hmm. which I'm sure we'll get into more of the details of. But um, this was a, a big strike um, where teachers across really California, not just Los Angeles, mm -hmm. had really been fed up with the lack of funding and the fact that even though California is the could be the sixth largest economy in the world on its own, right? <laughs> right. It has like a GDP that's somewhere up there with, with Germany. Um, we had the 46th ranked um, state out of 50 when it came to per pupil education funding five years ago um, mm. before the teachers went on strike. Um, and this song just reminds me of all of the amazing uh, community support we have, mm. um, which I think think is true of every successful strike but um this strike in particular was a little bit interesting and in that you know being la um, you always sometimes get some some celebrity involvement so mm. uh tom morello the 
lead guitarist of, of Rage Against the Machine, a popular, you know, alternative rock um, protest band from, from L.A. Uh, mm-hmm. He was able to play and perform this um, live for the teachers during their strike, which I thought was really cool. That's great. So <clears throat> there will be a moment of, like, bleeping out, because if you know Rage Against the Machine, they typically swear, and we're on radio, and we can't play that. So just to let people know <laughs> that I'll be um, blipping it out for a second while they use the F word. So here yeah, we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio. And um, that was Rage Against the Machine, um, Bulls on Parade. And it was actually live um, at LA Rising. Um, but I just want to point to, just to get our conversation started um, about schools, privatization, um, school organi- union organizing um, t- with teachers. Um, just want to point out some of the lyrics that within the song, which is like, Weapons, not food, not homes, not shoes, not need. Just feed the war, cannibal animal, cannibal animal. Um, I walk the corner to the rubble that used to be a library. Line up to the mind cemetery now. What we don't know keeps the contracts alive and moving. They don't got to burn the books. They just remove them while arms warehouses fill as quick as the cells rally around the family pockets full of shells um so the first um question we'd like to pose 
to you, Ryan, is um, what does it mean to be an organizer in this particular moment in history? And you, you could fold, sort of fold in, you know, um, like what what you what your role is within within the um, your work as an organizer. Sure. Uh, so great question, Nina. Um, so that role, I would say, uh, as a union organizer now, um, these days is as important um, as, as it's ever been. Um, we know since the 1950s across the U.S., there's been a steep decline in uh, union membership um, over the years, and we're really trying to um, combat that. Um, specifically, you know, a few years ago, there was this Janus decision by the Supreme Court, um, which basically allows what we call um, agency fee payers, which are, are people that um, don't want to pay for the essential services, you know, their dues for their union, and they would rather, you know, sit out and not participate. The, the big problem in that is that <laughs> unions are, by their definition, democracies at the workplace, right? You need everyone um, to be involved, and so when we have folks that don't want to participate, um, you lose your collective power, and when you lose your your collective power that gives the the bosses more ability to impose contracts on workers to tell workers what to do rather than having workers decide collectively together amongst themselves you know what changes need to be made um so me me specifically i'm i'm really happy to be here you know at this time and place this mm-hmm. important moment i believe in u.s history um i currently work in government affairs for um SEIU 99. Mm -hmm. So that is a union that works alongside UTLA, um, which is the the union for teachers specifically. Um, The union that I work for now, SEIU 99, we represent support staff. So like bus drivers, cafeteria, food service workers, ground crews, transportation, teachers aides, that that type of stuff. And um, basically my position, uh, government relations, Government relations is a position that a lot of local labor unions have, um, which is basically kind of um, someone that can serve as, you know, watching what's happening in my case, watching what's happening in Sacramento, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. What bills are coming out, what might be affecting our members in the mm-hmm. future, as well as helping our members, you know, lob- lobby and advocate for some statewide changes that makes um, organizing more easy. So I would say these days, <laughs> kind of the good thing about the constant attack that unions have been under for the last several generations is that I think we're finally starting to sharpen our organizing skills. Mm-hmm. And we understand that it's not just about your own union and your little, mm-hmm. your individual contract, right? Yep. Um, teachers unions are starting to link hands across you know, the state across the country, really, Mm -hmm. to really press for some bigger, um, you know, um, more impactful societal change. So that's kind of where things are at right now. Um, It's scary. I'll I'll say that, right? I Mm -hmm. I think there's never been a more interesting time to be in the labor movement, and we've never needed it more than we have now. So are there any particular things that are happening right now that you think are particularly dangerous for teachers around the country? Um, And I mean support staff. When I say teachers, I mean support staff and certified teachers in the classroom. 
Yeah, I, I think so. We're seeing a number of trends, which I think um, are, are not good indicators, uh, you know, for where we're going as a society. Uh, number one, I think the lack of support we saw for teachers um, overall, you know, during COVID, um, I, we, we used to joke, you know, the same people who would, you know, before COVID would say things like, you know, we don't need the the government to be my kids' parents, you know, we could, we could take care of our kids ourselves. They're the first kind of parents who kind of uh, complained when schools weren't open and were like, please take my kid, please just do anything. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so, so, so that was, that was interesting. Um, you know, I think that left a bad taste in a lot of teachers mouth and sometimes teachers feel like their own safety um, has not been a priority. Um, you know, a lot of frontline workers feel that way as well. Um, I, I think funding's a big issue, right? I mean, that's the big the big thing when it comes to education. Peer pupil per pupil funding, whether you know it's a state like um, you know Vermont or, or California, who actually both use um, property taxes to fund their local school districts, although albeit in different ways. Um, you know, there are a lot of states out there that are just so bad at funding um, education for their students, and it, it makes it so, look, teachers are professionals, right? You go to college to get your degree to become a teacher, mm-hmm. and with salaries being so low, um, another nationwide problem is the shortage of teachers, right? Yep, it's yep. hard to attract or retain teachers. True. Um, so that's that's been a big issue. Um behavioral health for students i mean Mm -hmm. we've always had um not enough mental health services right and we've always dealt with things unfortunately uh, in the united states only really on the last you know couple decades or so with with school shootings um with students who need you know more support at home than they're getting these are all things that have been getting worse they have not got better they've been issues forever I think the pandemic really exacerbated the gap between par- uh, parents who are able to give their, their kids resources, right, and the families that don't and never have those resources. So kind of the the gap that students, that teachers see between some of their students on the natural, um, you know, throughout yeah. U.S. history, it's really started to get elevated the last couple of years. Um, so there, there's so many issues that, that – um, teachers are facing today it seems to me too that it's like the pandemic just shined a light on something that was constantly in the shadows like always there but we weren't really able to see or our people weren't able to see it the way that they were as a community it's like something that teachers dealt with on a day-to-day but everyone else kind of ignored yeah that's that's absolutely true and i think you know a good example of that was just the I can say here um, in, in L.A., the assumption by the school district was that, you know, every child had access to good Internet, um, mm-hmm. right? That was like the assumption they had, but then the pandemic happens, and when classes um, were required to be done virtually via Zoom, and, you know, a lot of students, simple, some of them literally didn't have the Internet and couldn't do it. Others had, you know, one laptop to share between seven or eight other family members, right? Um, so we saw all these issues that we knew existed once the pandemic happened. Um, I, I, you're absolutely right. It really shined a spotlight on them and we could kind of see in the open, um, you know, what had always been true. 
what is the per pupil spending in California? I think in, in Vermont it's seventeen thousand and something, but what is it in California? It might be about fifteen thousand now. Okay. Um, I know it was around fourteen thousand in about two thousand seventeen. It was, uh, I believe, forty six out of fiftieth, so like fifth fifth worst. Oh, okay, I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm like Vermont. We're at the top. <laughs> yes, yeah. you are. We're like number yeah. two. <laughs> yep. yep. And yes, per people. Exactly. Um, yes. So I mean, we're not just here to like belly ache. I think that one of the other things is to think about is like what propels us forward, and it's always the voice from below. And so we would like to um, kind of spend some time talking about the strike, um, how, what sparked it, uh, how was it organized. Like, what were the major demands and outcomes of the 2019 strike to think that, like, we don't just sit down and take, um, you know, being marginalized. And this is like the most I feel like as a parent, especially uh, and an educator, like school days are like the most important time in a child's life. You know, education is such a it's a gift. It's a right. It's a human right. Um, but it's not always done the way it should be. <laughs> And so those of us who work in the field have something to say about that. So how did that go down? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a great question. So, you know, essentially, I think the seeds of the strike, I would go back and say they were actually planted here um, in in the 70s. Um, so in, in the 70s in California, um, property taxes, <laughs> just, just like in Vermont now, you know, at, at least it was when I left, um, people were, you know, always complaining about you know, property taxes. And that was the big, big kind of, um, weight people were trying to balance, right? Like get, getting enough resources for our children mm-hmm. versus, versus, you know, how high are my taxes, right? That's kind of always the, 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 um, the seesaw we're riding in public education. Um, in the 70s in California, before this law called Prop 13 passed, um, California had some of the highest per pupil funding in the country mm-hmm. um, due to its wealth and due to the fact that we were able to tap into all of our tax resources to, you know, get our, our students the resources they, they deserved. Um, but through this spending measure, uh, property taxes were, were capped at a really low level, um, not just for, you know, for families, but for, for businesses, that kind of thing. Um, so although it was presented at first, it's kind of like, you know, like this is going to help the middle class by reducing, you know, um, taxes, what it actually is, is it allowed, uh, rich people to get out of paying for education Mm -hmm. funding. Right. Mm -hmm. It really allowed the, the, the people who, um, all these, all these people who benefit from having, you know, uh, well-trained wor- a workforce, well-educated workforce. Um, apparently, they're the people that don't want to pay for it. And so from the 70s um, till, you know, about five years ago, California was on a pretty dramatic downward, you know, slope in terms of pure per pupil education funding. Um, the union UTLA really decided um, that's United Teachers Los Angeles. They represent 34,000 uh, teachers here, mm-hmm. they really decided that they had enough of that. Um, so um, the, the first thing they did, and I think this is, you know, critically overlooked a lot of times um, when, when people are thinking about, you know, um, with unions being involved in social justice and making social change, you can kind of just find, you know, an issue, get everyone to rally around it, strike, whatever, 
you win. It, there's actually a lot of internal work that needs to be done um, for unions to get to that point. Mm-hmm. And so the first thing that happened was um, internally there was change at the top of the union, right? There, there was a number of officers came in who really had a progressive, bold agenda where instead of, instead of you know, capitulating to the demands of the district, they made it very clear you know, we're going to be an organizing union where we're not just about, you know, collecting dues from our members and then, you know, doing our best in contract negotiations, but then we all go home. No, we're an organizing union. And what that means is we organize not just within our union, but within our communities. And we know that our strength is not just collectively with each other, but by getting the parents of all of these students on board, their grandparents, mm, yeah. their their families, local businesses, right, local mm. faith-based groups. Um, so for about a year, from 2018 to 2019, building up to the strike, a lot of the work at, at UCLA was organizing parent groups. And it wasn't just, hey, we're going to go on strike, we need your support. No, it was here's what we identify as, as issues for your, for your kids, right? Like we've identified these issues. What are the issues do you experience? As a parent, what can we do to improve our schools? Mm. What resources does your student do? Does your student need? And by using surveys and actually talking to parents and engaging them, mm-hmm. we were able to kind of um, mold together a collective vision of what the unions and the communities interest where they aligned and so what we called that was um bargaining for the, the public good which meant that you know we really took community concerns into account when we went to the bargaining table and what it allowed for was a much larger based coalition than just um the 34,000 educators um when we ultimately went on strike um I remember hearing some of the bigger days during the strikes. We had, you know, almost 100,000 people out there. Wow. And you imagine only a third of them could have been the teachers, right? So the rest were, were community members and folks at, at large supporting. Um, wow. That was kind of, you know, you know, the first step was to um, come together with a community platform, you know, and I think the, the biggest issues that parents and teachers were able to agree on was obviously increased per pupil funding, um, more nurses and um, because not every school has a nurse. In fact, there was a, a infamous incident, I believe back in 2017 where there was, um, you know, a school shooting where a teacher actually had to like bandage themselves and like had to wait half an hour or something like that before, Authorities showed up, and there was no there was no nurse to actually help this teacher who'd been shot. He like literally tied on his own tourniquet. So wow. it's 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 insane, and it's insane. Um, so getting a nurse in every school, um, getting more librarians in every school, more mental health support services, a lower ratio of mm-hmm. uh, fed students um, with, with with their their teachers. Mm-hmm. So to give more mental health supports as well with more counselors, a lower counselor ratio. And that's really important because out here in, in L.A. specifically, um, getting um, helping students get, get into college has been a, a massive struggle. And so when you have counselors who can actually, you know, help um, help these students, whether it's planning out their future, whether or not it's actually going to a four-year school or doing something different, 
you know, being, being able to get those resources and support is big. So that was another thing um, we fought for. Yeah. I'd say those are the, the bigger issues, the biggest issues. Oh, should we? You have another question? No, no, no. You can go. I was gonna say maybe we could take a a song break real quick. Yep, sounds Um, like a plan. And so this is one song that Ryan didn't recommend, but I really like. And I don't know if you know the the group uh, Rebel Diaz. They they made a song, Chicago Teacher. So that that's our our next song. But actually, before we go on the break, I'm just kind of curious myself. Like, how did you get into this work of organizing? Like, what what drew you out to LA, the other end of the country? Yeah, yeah. So it actually goes back to Vermont, um, specifically uh, Vermont Federation of Nurse and Health Professionals. Oh. Um, so the the first gig that I had um, in politics was way back in 2010 in Vermont. I worked on um, Peter Shumlin for governor, his, his oh. campaign. And through that, I, I met a lot of different uh, labor activists through, throughout um vermont and the group that seemed to have a lot of energy at the time was the nurses up at um it's now fletcher allen healthcare used to be called you know the university of vermont medical center um them they they, they're a great group of nurses up in um the burlington area and i that was my first labor gig was i was i was an organizer for them on their contract campaign um which was good um they ultimately, way after I left, right, this was a few years ago, they actually went on strike. Yeah, I think they're, they they're pretty yep. strong, right? They're very strong. Yeah. 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 Yep. Okay. So, yeah, that was kind of, that was my start. Great. Thanks. I was just very curious. Hold on. Let's, so we're going to go to Rebel Diaz, Chicago Teacher. Yeah. Feel this from the bottom of my heart, y'all. Truly inspired. Here we go, come on, look, y'all, y'all. Homie, I was taught by a Chicago teacher, Chicago teacher, Chicago teacher. I learned to read and write from a Chicago teacher, so I'm inspired by the fight for my Chicago teachers. Homie, I was taught by a Chicago teacher, Chicago teacher, Chicago teacher. I learned to read and write from a Chicago teacher, so I'm inspired by the fight for my Chicago teachers. The teachers are tired, the students dumbfounded, the budgets get cut, so classes are overcrowded. Streets full of violence, the blue coat is silence. So I'ma keep rhyming till salaries start rising. The unions are rising, taken to the streets. The workers are united, so the mayors got beef. Rhymes a fake pretender with a corporate agenda. Neoliberal offender, of course you offend us. This ain't about money, that's far from the truth. They want better work conditions to teach the youth. Politicians, I don't trust them, it's all in the name. The president, the mayor, all want political gain. They rather put the kids in jail, shackle them with chains and provide an education that challenges the brain. Top-down education, Chicago the birthplace. Now it's spreading nationwide all over the place. They don't teach us how to think, they teach us how to test. They teach us how to work to put money in their checks. The CEOs need to get up out the classroom before these streets get hotter than the sand in Cancun. So join the picket line like Mr. Pickett in his prime. Put on your red shirt like the Bulls in 95. Hit the streets with a sign and say I'm fighting for mine. It's a fork in the road and you gotta choose a side. And yes, I'm proud to say I was a public school student. It was public school teachers that first taught me music. And yes, I'm proud to say I was a public school student. A public school teacher first taught me music. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio on um, WVEWLP Brattleboro 107.7 FM. Um, And that was Rebel Diaz, um, Chicago teacher. And today uh, we have Ryan Emerson with us as a guest to talk about um, union organizing um, and union organizing specifically in Los Angeles um, with teachers. And so in this next part, we're going to sort of broaden the conversation a little bit. Um, You know, I'm just going to pick out some uh, lyrics from uh, Rebel Diaz where he says, you know, uh, Rom's a fake pretender with a corporate agenda, neoliberal offender. Of course, you offend us. This ain't about money. That's far from the truth. They want better work conditions to teach the youth. And so, um, Ryan, you talked a little bit about or sort of you know before the show you were talking a bit about like how LA there's a lot there's a shift towards privatizing and and going more towards charter schools so I'm wondering if you you could talk a little bit about that shift and and what that means you know for 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 you as an organizer because you you said that you organize charter schools in LA yes correct um so (laughs) Yeah, charter schools are kind of the um, <laughs> big new ideological project, I, I'd say, um, that um, folks that are anti-public education mm-hmm. um, have, have come up with and have been pushing, um, for, for better or for worse, I would say, successfully for the last um, decade or so. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure folks, listeners in, in Vermont may not be as, as familiar, but just the, the, the idea of what a charter school is, it is not 
as some people think, a private school. Mm -hmm. um, it's actually a publicly funded school, um, which is generally they're funded in the exact same way your local public school would be. Um, the difference being that the um, administration and the school boards are private. So unlike, you know, for example, in Vermont, you can go and you can vote for your local school board member, right, um, who, who oversees, you know, the hiring of your superintendents, your local, your principals, whatever it may be. Um, with a charter school, that is all done by a private board. So basically um, the way a private school uh, charter school would come into formation, um, they would open a school, they would get the same amount of funding per every student as a public school would be. But in terms of, you know, governance structure, they're not accountable to the public because their school boards are are private. Um, mm -hmm. The idea ideologically behind charter schools um, is kind of twofold. Uh, number one, they think they can be more um, efficient economically with tax dollars than, <laughs> than regular schools are. And um, what that means in reality is anything that doesn't involve preparing a student or teaching them for a standardized test mm -hmm. is no longer important. So whether it's the arts, music, sports programs, stuff like that, um, charter schools in general see that kind of those kind of enrichment activities as since they're non-academic and we should really keep our eye on the prize of teaching to the test and making sure all of our students have high proficiency, you know, reading, writing, and math scores. Uh, let's push all that to the back. Um, so it does allow. Um, you know, charter schools can be can be cheaper to, to operate. Mm -hmm. um, I should say there's also um, for profit versus nonprofit oh, charter yeah. schools. Um, out here in California, you're not you, you can't run a for profit charter school. It needs to be a nonprofit. Oh, However, so that does. Um, well, well, they they, they changed it. We had Edison recently. schools. Edison schools were they um, are their charter as well? North. Yeah, like I, I taught in East Palo Alto, and Edison schools are gotcha. is a for-profit charter school that we had in our district. So yeah, wow. So, so I'm yeah, but no. that was a while back, so maybe it's closed. Yeah, I think it, I think it has changed recently. Um, the the problem is though is that obviously there are ways of getting around that as well, right? Like we have. You can be the CEO of a nonprofit and still make $500,000 a year, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's not like the charter industry hasn't found ways to get around whatever whatever new laws we, we put up. But um, so that, that, that was, that's the idea of charter schools, right? And the way they're framed here in Los Angeles specifically is our public schools have failed us, right? Mm -hmm. um, our public schools are, are only good on the, the outskirts, Um you know, of, of, of the city. It's specifically our public schools have, have failed our black and brown children. And therefore, you know, in the inner cities, the best we could do is to open up these charter schools. And the reason behind that is economic choice, right? If there's a good school opened and a bad charter school that's open, the bad one will eventually close because parents will choose to pull their kids out of that one and send them to the other. Right. So mm -hmm. it's like this market based yeah. orientation where you're treating 
you know, the school that you pick out for your kids as being like going grocery shopping, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of the idea behind them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure we're going to have time to get into like the actual problem of how that mm-hmm. reality um, actually plays out for real yeah. students and families. But but that's the idea behind charter schools. Um, eventually, right now in Los Angeles, um, I believe it was something about seventy to 80,000 students go to charter schools versus traditional schools it's just over half a million now about 500,000 um so the the percentage of of children who um you know still the vast majority of LA students do go to public non-charter schools Mm -hmm. but that ratio has been changing and charter schools have been expanding rapidly for about the last 10 years Mm. um and so you sort of hinted at some of the the negative impact so i wonder if you could sort of illuminate <laughs> illustrate um you know what is what is the issue with charter schools and and more broadly privatization right and you were mentioning the ideological um and so you know the um, rebel diaz mentioned neoliberal so you know maybe you could just briefly describe like what is neoliberalism um to you and you know and, and the, the whole idea of privatizing. I mean, it could be health privatizing healthcare, you know, privatizing anything that's public. Um, and what does that mean? And what impact does that have um, on people? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I actually love the way you framed that question to what's the impact on people? Because in the end, the ideology doesn't matter, right? It's the, the impact of what actually happens to these students and their, their families. So the idea behind, uh, neoliberalism right is that through privatization um, we can be more economically efficient right and whatever problems there are out in the world um, whether they be social or economic you know a solution would be to put um, whatever it is out in the the free market and things will get figured out there right that's Mm -hmm. kind of the idea of of modern day neoliberalism it's kind of (laughs) similar to the idea you know, um, it, it goes back to Adam Smith, Wealth of Nations, mm-hmm. capitalism. Mm-hmm. Basically, market efficiency is is always the best solution for every problem. Um, and what we've figured out here is that unlike going to a grocery store and picking out your favorite candy bar, which, you know, if, if you buy it and you don't like it or whatever, it's not a big deal. Here you're talking about a commitment to your entire children and family's future, Right. Um, and it's a little bit laughable. I think that, you know, look, it's hard to, it's stressful to be a parent. Number one, it's just stressful to be a parent these days. So the idea that you would like enroll your kid in one school in a semester, the next semester, maybe take him out from them somewhere else and to keep on doing that for all four years, it's it's just laughable and that most parents don't have the time or capacity to do that. They just want to find one good school. Um, or they can do that. Um, so some of the side effects we've seen negatively of, of charter schools so far is, number one, uh, competing with community schools. Um, so lower, lower enrollment at a school in Los Angeles means that that school also gets less funding from the state. Mm-hmm. So when you have, you know, and I'm just, I'm just simplifying the math just to, as an example, but if you have a student, let's say, with 10,000 students and then, a school, a charter school opens across the street and they take a thousand of those students. You only have, 
you know, 9,000 students left, you only get 90% of your funding, Mm -hmm. which means that all of the resources that you would need, whether it's for, you know, again, counselors, nurses, whatever else you you need to really give our students a holistic education, Mm -hmm. that's no longer available because it's gone to the charter school. Um, the, The other problem with charters is that, you know, what they'll say is, okay, like maybe, yes, maybe at their worst, they're not very holistic and that very few charter schools offer any sports programs or any enrichment art or music programs. However, they are good at teaching to the test, right, and getting um, um, students prepared better than public schools, they would say, based on test scores for college. Mm -hmm. Um, But what we found out is, like, that part is actually not true as well. And we've found that some schools um, and um, charter schools in Los Angeles, that even, even if they have a slightly higher graduation rate and acceptance rate for their students to four-year colleges Mm -hmm. those students that go to four-year colleges that came from charter schools are much more likely to drop out than public school ones are Mm -hmm. now there's i don't think there's been tons of research around that yet but Mm -hmm. one of the theories is that like when you come from a public school and go to college you've had all these enrichments you know and other experiences to prepare you for life other than just teaching to the test um, college is hard, you know, you get caught up <laughs> in all sorts of stuff there. So, you know, maybe it's that charter schools aren't preparing their kids for the full life experience as much as they are just teaching to the test. Um, so that's the student's perspective of some issues from the teacher perspective of charter schools. I mean, this is really simple to say it's that there's a lack of professionalism, um, in terms of the pay, it can, it can be really low at charter schools compared to public schools. Usually charter schools um, do not offer, you know, good health care benefits, retirement. They don't make the schools a place where you'd want to stay and build your career as a young teacher. Charter schools have, um, they're kind of notorious for hiring um, teachers straight out of college, so like 23, 24-year-olds. Um, teachers kind of running them through the mill for a couple years until they burn out and quit. Mm-hmm. I, um, at some of the charter school chains in LA, the, the turnover rate is something like 50%. Oh. So like a staff of like 30 teachers at a school, the average could be 15 of them quit every year. Right. Um, that lack of con- you know, continuity is huge because we all remember you know, back mm-hmm. in our high school days, we had that, that favorite teacher we'd go to as a life yeah. coach, right? In addition to, mm-hmm. you know, wh- whoever you had as a mentor, I think we all had that kind of experience, right? You had like that special teacher, um, not always a teacher, it could be a librarian, even a janitor, like you had that person we would go to, right? Um, but as a student, you at an LA charter school, you don't know if that teacher is going to come back next year. You don't know if they're going to be there to write you your letter of recommendation for college, right? Mm-hmm. Um all, all these important relationship things you, you don't get because the turnover is so high. So right. I'm sorry for, for, for blabbing on. I can no, talk forever absolutely. about um, <laughs> And, you know, for me, like, the, the thing that gets – that the people – the aspect that gets hidden, right, like, about – you're mentioning all this, you know, which, which are impacts, but also that, that neoliberalism in general, right, under uh, – uh, there's an aspect of accumulation of wealth for certain groups of people. 
Um, and I think, you know, when you mentioned like market efficiency, it's, it's, you know, cutting costs so that a certain group of people within that, within the society or within the school, you know, make profit. Um, and for me, that's like an important piece also. Um, but within that, right, like you've mentioned, like these struggles teachers have and, and students have and families, um, what, you know, and of course, charter schools and privatization, but what place do teacher unions have in these larger struggles? Yeah, I, I think first and foremost, um, what teachers have in this larger, larger struggle is literally their life work is to help build and upload community, uphold communities for their students, um, right? No one, no one gets involved in teaching because they're excited to be uh, writing papers on a Saturday afternoon <laughs> and doing all of this extra work, right? Teachers work 40 hours a week. We all know that's BS, right? Y'all work so much harder than that. Um, but teachers do it because they, they know that their education will have an impact on the lives of their students and that that impact goes goes um outwards right to uh to use some of the neoliberals own language against themselves right <laughs> as a multiplier effect um education right you, you get much more out of it than you than you get into it we, we know that you know every dollar you put in for example mm. early education three the three to five year old investment is so much more of a higher return than it is for paying for prisons, right? Um, and, and for folks later on in, in life. So I, I think the discussion that, that um, educators and teachers unions specifically need to have is that, look, our schools are a public resource. They need to be adequately funded. Given that they need to be adequately funded, the big question is who's going to pay for it? What's fair? Um, Teachers, I, I think, have a good understanding, you know, being um, <laughs> struggling to, to maintain being, you know, in the middle class themselves, that the burden can't be on the working poor, can't be on the middle class. Mm. There, there are these people out there, you know, um, and, and you alluded to it earlier, Nina, these, <laughs> these folks mm -hmm. at the top that yeah. have managed to not only get out of paying their fair share, but actually have been able to usurp wealth at the same time from the rest of us. Um, and how do we leverage them to get our community what they need? Because I think the most powerful voices in the labor union right now are not asking, hey, what's the best, you know, we can, we can get right now realistically. What they're asking is what do we need? And given what we need, what do we, what do we have to do to accomplish it? Mm. Um, yeah. I, I think the other, I'm wondering about just the system itself and how it functions. I think the other thing is like money is one thing. And of course, I remember actually I started off as a California teacher. Um, but um, I just remember there's all this rhetoric about getting money from the lottery, but I guess that's not true. That's what they used to always sell us. Like we yeah. get all the money from the lottery. Go to education. Yeah. The pay your lotto numbers. Um, uh, um, but is that even if we funnel all the money into it, that the system itself and the way we approach education is broken. Um, and so, I mean, even in places I think where teachers make a decent amount of money, it's like how it's really a struggle to be able to do, to serve the children well, 
um, when it's such a microcosm of society, you know, it's like communication isn't great. Like, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of things happening. You're like, what's happening? What am I supposed to do? Um, and there's a lot of constant changes for teachers and we don't know what's coming next. Like what's going to change next. Um, so I'm thinking, I'm just wondering about in terms of organizing, I know here in Vermont, it's, um, sometimes it's kind of quiet around those things. And like the union is really focused on the wages and, um, not really on how can we really address mm -hmm. working in a system that's primary function is to sort children and how mm -hmm. do we fight against that to know that within the school even a well-functioning school there are multiple schools and a, and three different children from diff three different class backgrounds will have three different experiences based on that in the school right so I'm just yeah, no, I mean, that, that, that's a, um, a really good point, Michaela. And I, I think, um, you know, you're right. You can't just throw money um, at the problem. You know, for, for example, yes, we do want to increase school funding. And I think in general, um, publicly school, public schools across the country are not um, funded enough. But there are things where it's like, yeah, we don't need to throw more money into some things. You know, for, for example, one of I'm thinking back to the. The, the UTLA strike, um, one of the things that they've been uh, negotiating on since the strike is um, school policing. And mm -hmm. in L.A., there is a problem um, with with allegedly, um, I'm, I'm using quotation marks, um, random search and seizures, mm. which seems to disproportionately, um, you know, they, they go after black and brown kids. Like, that's what's happening, mm -hmm. right? And the union has documented that. Um, so, yes, if we just directly fund everything at schools that could also be seen as oh well then do we need more police do we need to do a better job of converting our schools into you know prisons like no right there, there there's it's not just about money it's how it's directed i think it's gonna um you know a question like that i think a lot of it is what is what are the local community um needs right um because the needs of students in brattleboro versus la will be dramatically different if i was a member of a local teachers union, I would look at bargaining my next contract in terms of what's going on in my, my community. Are there sometimes as, as a union, you know, um, it's, it's not just about advocating, uh, like you said, Michaela, Michaela for your, your own wages and benefits. It's having a broader perspective of, of what can we bargain for um, that's helpful for our community as well. I think local unions should be engaging with community members. They should do things like surveying parents, talking to parents about what issues there are. Um, what we've noticed is that sometimes the best things we can do for our students isn't even just funding our schools. It's like funding after school programs, mm -hmm. making sure the park that's a block away from the school that's trashy and there's all sorts of problems. Like if we could help the city take care of the park, like even though that's not directly our school that actually helps our students and we know they're in a safe environment after you know um mm -hmm. so it's, it's looking at the the community pieces i think and really getting a a sense of what your local community needs because you're right it's more than about you know everyone wants better wages and benefits <laughs> we know that but um i think it's kind of you know each school district kind of you, you'd need to look at at what you need there yeah i and I, it's, 
it's so interesting too because we have all these things happening in schools and right now we're reading this book that focuses on special education and i think that really what comes up when you're focusing on one like system within the system like special education um it kind of becomes emblematic of the whole system itself and we were having this discussion the other day at the school it's like special education focuses on the deficit model mm-hmm. and i'm wondering too it's like so it's like what's wrong with the kid what's wrong with, and so and sometimes we're like what's wrong with the school and so then i feel like talking to the community too is like what's strong like what strengths do we have that we can build on right. that help make the other things kind of fall away and i think that that's what's going to help teachers stay in the field the attrition rate for teachers is out of control um because it's the hardest job you'll ever love just like being a parent <laughs> um right <laughs> But it's like, but what strengths do we have there? And so I'm wondering about that too. So like, what do you see besides our ability to come together in the face of adversity? What strengths are the ones that keep people coming back every day? What keeps you coming back every day? Yeah, no, thank you. That's a really great question. And I I should preface it by saying, you know, um, not just um, at my work at United Teachers Los Angeles, but labor organizing in, in general uh one of the things that they'll teach you and you know organizing 101 um is like you said it's not just about getting people fired up about uh what changes they need to make at the workplace right um or in their lives it's half the battle is identifying what's already there what mm-hmm. resources do we already have what do we want to what do we want to keep and improve and you know, even for, I'll give an example at, at, at charter schools, a lot of charter schools in LA do have lower student to teacher ratios, which is a good thing, right? Mm-hmm. And this is, this is on average. They have some that have, are really bad in that respect, but, you know, on average, they, they do have some that are lower than public schools. When we talk to these teachers about organizing, they rightly identify as, you know, in addition to all the things they want to change, they'll identify things that they want to keep that are positive. And they'll say like, oh, well, right now I only have, you know, 18 students in this class. And if I were to have twice that much, like at a district school, that would be really bad. So when I bargain, I really want to keep that, Mm -hmm. right? Keep the low student ratio. Um, So we do, you know, in labor, um, I don't know if we always do a good job about it, but we do, you know, frame things like, what do you want to keep? and improve upon that's positive. It's not just about like looking for <laughs> solutions to and identifying problems um, for sure. But, you know, for me, what keeps me motivated is just the fact that knowing that this work organizing um, doesn't do itself. Um, it's scary for most workers in the United States of America, you know, um, <laughs> going to work knowing that, um, you know, most of us live in jobs where you can be fired, where you don't have a union contract or an agreement to to protect you. Mm-hmm. So for me, the battle, it, it's always going to continue on that front, right? It, until, in my view, until every every worker has a way of participating democratically, you know, in their work site, whether that's through a union or collectively on cooperatives, whatever the model is, um, we need to see more of that. And I'm motivated by the fact that we're really starting to push back, whether it be, you know, in Kansas or in West Virginia where teachers mm-hmm. went on what's called a wildcat strike, which mm-hmm. is technically illegal, right? They, they, even though they didn't have 
the legal right to strike. They just said, hey, you know, actually, <laughs> we can do this anyway. That's mm-hmm. what that's what inspires me is people looking outside of the box, outside of the law sometimes, even knowing, look, the law's not going to save us. The law was written by the exact same people <laughs> who are trying yeah. to privatize our schools right now. True. They're not written by, you know, the working class. So if we're going to play within their rules, well, we're always going to lose, right? Mm. So I think um, the fact that more unions are getting creative with, with that kind of stuff and organizing – um, that's important. Um, definitely the community organizing, um, partnering with groups like Black Lives Matter here. Um, UTLA did a, a really good job of, of reaching out to groups and kind of tying the thread between economic, social, racial justice. Mm-hmm. I think the more unions that do that, the more they'll show that they're not just some special interest group out mm-hmm. for more money and better, you know, their retirement benefits, but they actually right. want to uplift to their communities. That's mm. important. Nice. Well, that was a great conversation. And unfortunately, we're at the end of our show. But um, we usually play a song going out, and I have you recommended two other songs, which is The Staple Singers, When Will We Be Paid, and um, Higher Ground by Stevie Wonder. Which one would you like to go out with, Ryan? Let's let's do. Oh, first of all, thank you so much for having me, um, Michaela and Nina. I really appreciate yeah. uh, the conversation. But let's go with uh, "When Will We Be Paid." Okay. Mm-hmm. And why did you recommend that song? Uh, I, I recommend that song because it it, it really um, it, it reminds me. It's sung by um, you know an African American singer, and it it just reminds me of all of the work that folks go through and have gone through for so many years that is not recognized. And yes, the, the lyrics, you know, it's when will we get paid? It's very literal, but it's also metaphorically Mm -hmm. like you put in all this work, all of this effort, we're continually sacrificing. When, when do we get our due? Mm -hmm. When do we get our moment in the sun? It's got a sadness to it. um, But it's also, you know, motivating because it's asking the right question. Great. Thank you so much, Ryan, for Thank speaking you, Ryan. with us. It was really wonderful. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, Michaela, do we have any announcements? Like, MLK Oh, we're going to have MLK celebration talk discussion at Brooks Memorial Library on Saturday the 14th mm-hmm. um, at 1230. And it's going to be some students from the high school aware as a student group of, for students of color. Um, are going to do like a little workshop on the revolutionary side of MLK and unsung heroes of the civil rights movement. From what time to what time? On 1230 to 2. 12.30 to 2. Okay, so 12.30 to 2, Brooks Memorial Library. Be there. We'll see you there. And thank you, Ryan. We're going to go out with the Staple Singers. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Nina. Mm. When will we be paid for the work we've done? When will we be paid for the work we've done? We have worked this country, I'm sure, I'm sure. Our women cooked all your food and washed all your clothes. We picked all your cotton and laid the railroad steel. Worked our hands to the bone. 
your lumber mill. I say, when will we be paid for the work we've done? When will we be paid for the work we've done? We fought in your wars in every land to keep this country free, y'all, for women, children, and men. But any time we ask for pay alone, that's when everything seems to turn out wrong. We've been beat up, beat up, called names, shot down in stone. And every time we do right, someone say we're wrong. When will we be paid for the work we've done? When will we be paid for the work we've done? We have given our sweat and all our tears. Stumble through this life for more than 300 years. We've been separated from the language we knew, stripped of our culture. People, you know it's true. Tell me now, when will we be paid for the work we've done? When will we be paid for the work we've done? When will we be proud? time.